0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Good morning, hello, and welcome to this week's Football Digest podcast. And some of my good chums and colleagues joining me this week. Andy Dunn, uh, my colleague from, from the Mirror, Chief Sports Writer. Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer for Daily Star. And Matt. Done, Rothman's collector supreme, <laughs> Leonardo of football and all things from the Daily Express. Uh, joining me this week, plenty to get through, guys. As I'm sure you'll agree, what a week! I always look. I don't know whether you guys agree, but international breaks. I think oh, might be a bit, might be a bit quiet. Might might be a little bit of a dull fortnight. <laughs> I can fill the pages. The the news editors are thinking about obscure features strange things that you would never normally get in Premier League weeks and then it all kicks off every single international break there's a scandal so we'll be looking at that England where do we stand ahead of the game I mean you know the the, the news agenda has been dominated this week by uh, FA Greg Clark FA Chairman Greg Clark and he, and his exit um, I mean Blimey, what a DCMS disposition by by a, a, a few people and we'll go into that. Scotland, uh, do we need the Tartan Army at championships? I think so. Uh, Northern Ireland also in, involved, of course, Joe Gomez, the fallout for that for England and indeed Liverpool. And we'll also have a little look at Paul Pogba. What on earth is going on with Paul Pogba and France right now? But let's guys, let's start with... With England, we were all involved in, in, in Gareth Southgate's um, uh, press conference yesterday. And uh, we do have this uh, amazing insight, I think. It, it feels like he's been beamed into your front room at times, isn't it? Uh, by Via Zoom, um, uh, uh, really, with things to say. And I thought he was actually back to form. If he was a little bit moody last couple of times by covid idiots and coronavirus, then I actually thought he was sort of kind of dropping a few... Um, funnies really I mean An- Andy I'll start with you just because you asked a great question at the end there about the Jack Grealish and Mason Mount which drew a brilliant answer which suggests that Gareth spends perhaps far too much time like the rest of us on social media really but just tell us about that what, brought, brought, what was the question and what brought, brought the answer because it didn't half make me laugh
0: that 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 wasn't that wasn't eye opener wasn't it, John? That, 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 you know we hear so much from the likes of Southgate that they they you know they ignore social media, they block it out, and it's clearly that he's had his you know he's he had his head in his computer screen for a long time, searching out all these <laughs> um what do they call them memes? Memes, oh, memes, Memes. Memes. the memes. <laughs> but anyway, so basically, the question was was about the, the growing you know, clamour for Jack Grealish to be a central figure in his England team and also about the um, criticism of Mason Mounts. Because obviously, if you remember, in the last Nation League games, the two games, Jack played against Wales in a friendly and was outstanding, but then didn't get a minute of action in the two Nations League games, what you would call loosely competitive games. But Mason Mount did. And obviously, when England were beaten by Denmark in that second game, it was pointed out how does Mason Mount start ahead of Jack Grealish, and then you know, so the the the, the question was designed to say, is it fair that Mason Mounts, you know, is basically the fall guy gets the the whipping boy for the people who think that Grealish should be in the team? So he laughed and, and he says, "Well, I'll speak about Mason Mount, he says, because it will give basically all those people, uh, these Villa fans, something to you know retweet as memes of, of him talking about Mason Mounts because if yeah, when, when famously when 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 Gareth Southgate was asked a question about Jack Grealish a couple of games ago with how good Jack Grealish was, he answered it by saying how good Mason Mount was. And this sort of went viral amongst Villa fans, you know, and, and obviously went on from there. And he was gently taking the mickey out of himself, which was really good, you, you know. And, and, and I agree with you, he, he actually was back on form. It was almost as though he'd sort of, you know, it's strange because, you know, he gave a great answer to that. And, and, and for the record, he said, you know, they're not blind to a good player. And he explained why Jack Grealish hadn't been in the squad and now was now he'll play a bigger part. So that was great. But you're right. Southgate was actually back on form. It, it's really strange. It's almost as though, and, and, and Matt Dunne, Dunne asked a question about, you know, every, every the the referred to the fact that every get together now seems to be prefaced by some off the field issue that is nothing to do with you know mud on boots, ball on the field, you know, and it, it, whether it's players, you know, are breaking COVID rules, you know, or in this case. Um, someone in the boardroom being an idiot. It's it, um, and you know it, it's almost. you think? Well, does Southgate get fed up with this? You know, he, he must every single press conference he's coming into. You know, it, it was a, it was a rare question about football when we asked about Jack Grealish, but Southgate actually seemed to I wouldn't say relish it, but he just coached with it so well. And wrote this morning that if he wasn't the manager, he would be a great chairman because he just deals with these issues very, very, very skillfully. And and yeah, and I thought he might be like you know oh no here we go again I'm now doing questions on 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 the on the chairman and and, and his you know what he said but in, instead he was he was great and as you say I think he was back to form
1: yeah Jesa the other one that caught my eye just sort of analysing a press conference was the was the one about Jude Bellingham which you know let's be honest is created a bit of discussion hasn't it is it too old or is it too early for him. Uh, to be called up at 17 if he gets on tonight then basically he'd be be the third youngest England player of all time behind uh, Rooney and and Walcott Um, you know clearly people have been sort of saying what about Barkley and Madison and again that kind of prompted the, the, the belief didn't it that basically Yeah, Gareth Southgate has been checking social media to see the stick that he's been getting. I don't know whether... I don't know whether you... I think that's, you know, the the, the thing about Bellingham is right, the call-up. But also, you know, it was an interesting insight into the manager. And I think recently, he's been getting a little bit of stick, hasn't he? You know, people beginning to question his management for the first time. I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that he's he's almost taken notice.
2: Firstly, Bellingham... Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Look, he's clearly a very gifted player, and um, Gareth studied him um, in training at St George's Park and clearly liked what he saw. So he thought, why not? You know, 17 is very young, but if you're good enough, you're old enough. That's the old adage, isn't it? And mm. we've seen other teenagers, st- you know, start like like this. And look, if he's going to be a, probably the bedrock of the um, England midfield for the next. Ten years or so. So why wait another eighteen months to to, to, to to groom him into that setup? Get get him in now and let's see what he can do. Yeah. Um, Southgate on Twitter. Yeah, look, <laughs> whether you like Twitter or not, I mean, we're all on Twitter ourselves through work and stuff, and um, it's another sign that Southgate is is the modern manager, isn't he? You know, could you imagine somebody like I don't know Bobby Robson spending two hours a day on Twitter? It'd just be you just couldn't ever see that I mean could you you know it'd be funny to see him contribute on twitter no doubt but but southgate realizes that the world can be played out on twitter these days you know rightly or wrongly and that's that's the times we're living now so you know he clearly canvasses opinion and goes on there to see what people are saying and writing about him and so he should because you know he's he's one of the most powerful men in the country and Dunny they read Dunny's piece this morning and he basically saying if ever you wanted someone to become the next chairman of the FA, Southgate ticks every box. I mean, it'll never happen. I, I, I'd be amazed. I mean, look, if he would he go into that sort of role after the England job, probably not. He want another job in management, but maybe in later life, he clearly would be a great candidate to lead a lead a, lead an organisation like the FA. You know, he's he's. I think he's, he's look. He's had a he's had a, a really rough ride lately for 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 reasons nothing to do with himself players have let him down you know off-field headlines now Greg Clark's obviously turned the FA upside down this week with his stupid comments to the government so you know but he's handled everything brilliantly I think and I think mean, he'll be looking forward to just getting a match out of the way tonight <laughs> yeah. but you know yeah. let's stick, let's watch some football and see what we can do but um, yeah he's, he's he's grown in stature in my opinion
1: yeah absolutely M- Matt I I do feel that the last time we were at Wembley, after the the last treble header, I mean, it seemed to have played an awful amount of games actually, bearing in mind this this weird truncated season. I felt, and I don't know whether you agree, that there were just questions um, for the first time about Gareth Southgate and his management, Um, you know, on the back of maybe Grealish, this public campaign, if, 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 you know, if, if we had that, uh, you know, it wasn't a very inspiring performance. You had two players sent off, you know, discipline issues on the back of what happened before. Where are we with England and, and, and Gareth Southgate now, do you think?
3: I think we're probably where all England managers eventually end up, which is victims of their own success and overhyped expectations. Don't forget, he took the job eventually in a a circumstance where we didn't have any players, we had no talent, no prospects. Um, You know, we'd had an absolute catastrophe uh, at Euro uh, 2016 and uh, uh, and we had nowhere to go. Now, he built that in two years and led that into Russia uh, and took us to the top four teams in the world, which I don't think necessarily is a fair reflection on perhaps where we are. I think we've overachieved in that spell. Uh, and the fact is we don't have good enough players in key positions to play the sort of football that a manager would want to na- naturally bring into to the role. And yeah, if we had a good enough team to, to spare us uh, a player, then you'd stick Jack Grealish in there and have him dictate play all you like. But unfortunately, we need 11 players who can defend because the, the 10 wouldn't be good enough on their own because, because key players, centre-backs especially, and central defensive midfielders aren't of the calibre required to form the bedrock, to give the platform to a player like Grealish, which is, I think, his frustration. I think that comes into the sort of playful way that he answered Andy's question yesterday. He knows he'd love to play. I'm sure he'd love to play a Jack Grealish and be able to Mm -hmm. stick him in and uh, and say, go and do your stuff, Jack, and the rest all mop in around you. But those players aren't good enough to do that for him. Uh, And against the very best sides, we will get found out with that being a man light defensively, which unfortunately, Jack, compared to a Mason Mount, is, well, perhaps half a man. Like and those are the fine margins that are going to cost us at the back end of tournaments
1: mm. Andy, are we are we guilty of overhyping Jack Grealish a bit? I mean, I know, <laughs> you know, I, I know we go around full <laughs> circle here but basically, you know I, I don't know whether we're sort of kind of in a position whereby in, in, in previous times sort of Jack Grealish wouldn't have been this sort of, you know uh, sort of national become a sort of almost a national debating point I mean, I love Jack Grealish I think he's a great entertainer but on the international stage, is he that international player?
0: Well, we will find out, won't we? You know, he's only been on as sub once and started the game against Wales. And that's it, you know, for someone of his age, that's, you know, that's very little sample on mm. considering you know, he's not a youngster youngster, um, as in the sort of Bellingham mode. Um, are we guilty of hybrid Probably yes, but that's because we like that type of player. Everyone likes that type of player, something unusual and something different, something creative, something you know, there's a maverick about him, isn't there? And we love a maverick because basically, I think that, and this sort of like filters into the Mason Mount discussion, is that we are used to the Southgate, um, basically, proteges from St. George's, aren't we? We're used to the we used to the lads who come through the system, played under 16s, under 17s, and 19s. They've St. George's Park DNA in them. You know, they're they they're efficient, they're lovely lads, they're you know, they're they're incredibly well behaved, they are um, you know, they, they come through the system, which Gareth, of course, was heavily involved in and loves. They love that sort of production line that deals in all aspects. Producers, well rounded, and organized. Um, players and individuals, and Grealish isn't that. Chris has not come through that. Grealish has been the maverick. Grealish has been involved there. Grealish has, as you know, come from the wrong side of the tracks. Grealish sort of, you know, gets into trouble now, and into the wrong sort of areas. So the pitch, he also does it for, you know, he'll wander around on the pitch. He'll take positions, you know, that are a game-rigid tactical plan. And that's why we like him, because it's... Difference. we all like something different we all Mm. we all want to see that and that's why the climate is is for him is because as effective as england in and for example as they extend in the world cup the spark of creativity still is something that you are searching for and that's what he can provide
1: yeah i I want to see an entertainer jesse don't you i want to see a jack grealish i want to see i want to see a maverick over over, over stats <laughs> yeah look it
2: was interesting actually after the game against Wales when he was one of the match um, we interviewed him. I don't know if you remember, but uh, he was yeah we, we, we mentioned the fact that he, he'd had comparisons to Gaza, who for me was my favorite player of his generation because just because you just never knew what he was going to do, but you mm. knew whatever he did do would be something pretty spectacular or different. That's why you go pay your money, innit, to go watch football. But hmm. in really look, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Gazza. I think Gazza was a one-off, but um, he's got that same sort of feeling about him. You just we just have, don't seem enough, do we? You know, um, and what what impressed me about him was that he actually embraced the comparison. To most players, would be running scared of being compared to Gaza. Um, And he said, bring it on. You know, that's 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 an honour for me. I loved watching him play. And you get got the feeling that he sort of moulds himself a bit on Gaza. He's a bit of a cheeky chappy and plays with his socks down. He's just a bit different to the rest. And, um, you know, we need players like that in the game. Um, My issue with Grealish is he's clearly a very talented player. Mm. But with respect to Aston Villa, he is is their main player. And Mm. he carries that team. And um, I'd like to see him. Perform on a regular basis in a in a in a really top class side just to see if he can do it.
1: Yeah, just because he he's he's the focal point for Villa. He's everything. Well, he's a big fish in a smallish pond, isn't yeah. he? Really, you know. Yeah. I don't want
2: to put Villa down because they're having a good season, but um, you know, he's linked with Man United. For example, if he played for Man City, would he play every week? Would he be one of their best players? If if he was, then you would think, "Crikey, this guy's a genuine genius."
1: Mm, yeah yeah oh, uh, I, uh, Dunny, the, Dunny I, the, the other Dunny, I am guilty of doing a BBC here um y- y- you know talking about over over hyping um someone while shamelessly absolutely completely overhyping in myself <laughs> really but i mean moving on from from jack grealish where where do you, you know republic of ireland tonight basically that I mean that's a fairly decent test isn't it for England but it, it is going to be a sort of a strange mix and match team obviously maybe the A team if you like the first team is saved for the Nations League games but it's a decent test for England tonight isn't it?
3: Of course it will not least of which because of the, the passion that they'll come up against and the, it's not just a friendly um, there is that sort of local rivalry there's the historic rivalry between the two countries um, all of that f- f- funnels into to the game tonight uh, and it's a game where we're playing in a similar against a team schooled in a similar way of playing. So, so there's the the familiarity of that, that will sort of counteract each other. And yeah, it'll be a tough challenge. We we've always struggled. um, Well, not actually historically we've struggled to, to play against what should on paper be comfortable games against our close rivals. But actually recently, I think we've handled them a little bit better, that rivalry. And, yeah, recent games against Wales, for instance, were, were more one-sided than perhaps um, they uh, the, certainly the Welsh might have hoped. But but no, it'll be a tough test, not least of which because it'll be an unfamiliar England team, whichever sort of outfit he puts out there. And and I think there is also a danger that there's going to be some individuals like Jack Grealish, like like others, who are playing for places, and that mm. does sometimes get in the way of the team dynamic. So. It's been a slow. It was a slow starter against Wales, a little bit, and then they found their feet. So I, I see something similar happening again tonight.
1: Yeah, uh, Andy, uh, uh, you know, analysing the two lineups, you, you'd have to say that England have the sort of the, the players and the quality, don't don't you really?
0: Oh yes, I mean we forget actually that, that you know if you look at the England squad at the moment and he's picking you know more players of bigger squads. You no, know, they have got a lot of options. You know, you've got players like who aren't now automatic starters. Players of the ilk of of, of Jadon Sancho, for example. I just just one. You know, these are high quality players. Um, um, that basically you know are not first choice at, at the moment. So he's got he's got an awful lot of options. I mean, I think it, as well, it would be interesting to see. You know, he's obviously made his mind up on a system, hasn't he? You know, and and. Uh, seeing how that works, hence his explanation for Jude Bellingham, which was, you know, um, uh, very interesting there. He can play in that two in the center of midfield. Um, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure bought into that, but, you know, he's it, clearly going to play a particular system. And I do think, you know, it, it's still, a, I think it remains regardless of the results of these three games, I think going into a tournament next year, hopefully touch wood, um, it remains, you know, an exciting England team. You know, there's no getting away from it. You know, they keep producing decent results. Okay, the Denmark was a setback, but, you know, considering they got a guy sent off early on, almost understandable. Yeah, I think it's an exciting team with, with a, lot of, a lot of options. You know, I, 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 I still wouldn't know what the best centre-back, sort of um, central defensive, sorry, the best three there would be. Um, still have reservations about the keeper, but only based on his club form. Um, but I think you know going forward. Um, I think they've got a lot of options, and, and again, without going back to him, I think Grealish will will give an extra dimension to to this team and make it more exciting.
1: Yeah, Jesu, I, I guess you know Republic of Ireland is the is the warm up, isn't it? It's the friendly. The, cool. the other two games, you can it, England can still do something in the Nations League, aren't they? I mean, it's been a mixed bag of results, but basically, you know, Belgium to come, Iceland, wherever that might be. Um, uh, you know, let's hope it's it's at Wembley rather than sort of kind of Germany. But I guess we're building up to those two games, aren't we?
2: Yeah, look, tonight's just a, a preamble, really, for the, for the weekend. I mean, the key games, obviously, um, Belgium on Sunday. Obviously, we beat them um, not too long ago um, in a strange game, in which we got battered, actually, for, well, half a game and then, you know, um, pull things around in the second half but it's, it's a weird one in the Nations League because look, we got to the semi-finals um, in the inaugural competition and that, you got the feel, we were all out there, weren't we? And you got the feeling Southgate really valued it but obviously his main mission in the next 12 months or less, slightly less, is to win, win the uh, Euros. So, he's playing in one competition but using it as a a stepping stone to build towards next summer and the, the, the European Championships, where he probably thinks we've got a decent chance of winning it. I mean, I'd think we're a bit short of winning it, but um we should get to the certainly get to the last eight, maybe the last four, and then you, you're obviously relying on a bit of luck and good fortune, and you? having your players fit and healthy. But so it's a strange competition, in the Nations League. Should it be taking place? There's an argument to say maybe not. You know, in the circumstances, there's this big debate about. Should international football be happening, given the fact that players are on their knees already? We saw what happened to Gomez. I think we'll come to that in a bit. But, um, yeah, so I just hope he bloods some players tomorrow, tonight. And, and you know, he's obviously going to play Nick Pope in goal, see how he can do. Midfield's an issue, isn't it? That mm. needs resolving. Uh, like Donny said, the defence is still sixes and sevens a bit. So he needs to learn things tonight not necessarily the results are obviously important for confidence and momentum but he probably just wants to learn some things he didn't already know about certain individuals
1: yeah no sure yeah there's a couple of things to to come off off, of this England week but first let's start with um with Greg Clark Matt I mean it's just uh, I mean you know the DCMS uh committee this week was, was was designed really wasn't it for Rick Parry and Richard Masters to answer why they're you know, hadn't sort of come, kind of come up with a cash, and it ended up being the Greg Clark, you know, meltdown. Really, mm. I mean, it was just unbelievable viewing, wasn't it? I mean, he went through, he went through the card, frankly, on a you know, <laughs> a, a, with outdated views and upsetting people. It's shameful, wasn't it?
3: Uh, it was, it it was car crash television. I mean, I gather from your Twitter feed you were following live as I was, mm. um, but yeah, I noted down on my my uh, pad 1202 that's when he said the word that these days you just don't expect to hear certainly not from a man in his standing and I I have a lot of time for Greg Clark I think his heart's in the right place he's a very Christian man he's also a very ambitious man as well and I know he's rubbed a few backs up the wrong way within football but perhaps Mm. that's what needs to happen a little bit within football Um, but that said you can't have the leader of an organisation putting so much work into this Making the sort of gaff um, that that he made, and it shows an underlying uh, failure to get his head round some of the core principles that the FA are fighting so hard to uh, to lead the way on. Um, uh, and you know, initially, you think it's unfortunate, but then when he starts talking about the IT department, and then um, I mean, I think it, it was a, a nuanced thing on uh, the gay lifestyle, he, he, you know, whether or not he said coming out was a lifestyle choice or actually being gay could be nuanced but in amongst everything else you know there's no hiding place he's getting a lot of old fashioned stereotypes um, he, he's displaying those and if that's at the the backdrop in his thinking and you just think that when he launched into his story about the coach and started even doing the actions of a seven year old girl not wanting to have the ball hit at her you just think you know it, it's just you know the girl two doors are up from he's a goalkeeper and she's you know, brave as anything. So, uh, you know, it is an old-fashioned view that perhaps was prevalent where, when Greg was growing up. But, but, it, but times have changed, and you can't have somebody that's out of touch with with what the message is now. leading the organisation, it quickly became clear that you know whether it was by his own uh, re- resignation or or whether it was direct action that he basically had to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Andy, who do we need need next? And, and also, was Gareth right to champion Paul Elliott in the way that he did yesterday?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting that Gareth said, you know, I don't necessarily know whether Paul Elliott is suitable for the um, for the chairman's role, um, but that he did go on then to highlight all the qualities he thought that Paul had and basically his admiration for him. Um, I did notice a line where he said it was because he had basically immersed himself in the business of football administration. In other words, he wasn't going at it half-heartedly. I think it's probably a reflection of where we're at that we turn to Paul Elliott as the basically sole person we know um, on, on, on within the FA who might be suitable from in terms of if we want a black candidate to be chairman. You know, it, 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 it's a shame that the field, well, the, the very fact that the field within the FA there it, it, it is not more broad more diverse is actually a reflection of the issues that they are trying to tackle so i think that's first things first but yes listen i don't know paul elliott that well i, I know him to say hello to and to have a little chat to and, and 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 i agree with gareth you know he comes across you know as as a guy who i mean i'm sure he relished the role. i'm sure he'd do a very good job but i mean again as gareth said you have to say basically you know the best person for the job should get the job but what it clearly that best person needs to be it's certainly more progressive. It wouldn't be hard than Greg Clark. I mean, it's as simple as that, you know. And, and it, the, the the whole the whole image of that type of character, Um, and I take on board what Matt said about Greg Clark. I also take on board the, the complimentary words that Gareth Southgate had to say about Greg Clark last night, mm. and which he did as, as a caveat to, um, um, to to what what Clark had done. So I agree with that, but really, what you need is, is we do need someone who reflects a more, a younger, more diverse, more forward-thinking, more progressive organisation than the FA. No, no matter what, and again, Southgate touched on this. Without keep going back to what he said, but the perception, whether it's right or wrong, the perception of the FA still remains a problem. It, it, people still perceive it as a staid, old, the old, the old blazers, you know, sort of gin and tonics in the boardroom, old, stuffy, old-fashioned organisation um, sort of basically with old-fashioned bureaucracy as epitomised by the guy who's just had to resign. So that needs to change. So whether that be Paul Elliott who leads that, I don't know, but it certainly needs someone far more progressive than we've seen before as chairman. Andy, um, sorry to butt in here, yeah. but do you not think no. that
3: mentioning Paul Elliott was a more nuanced attack at some of the other names uh, that have immediately have been put forward? Um, those that have never done anything yeah. in football, um, but have sat on the the pundit's couch uh, uh, and thrown in their opinions—is that not what Southgate was aiming at? I noticed Emil yeah. Heskey came in the ring this morning. I yeah. don't remember him. You know, he's done some work local level, but he's not exactly fought his way through the the no. red tape of UEFA and FIFA to try and get sort of initiatives through. And I think I, I mean, that- exactly I a- I can absolutely concur
1: a- a- with that. I mean, that's uh, Emil Heskey. What you know. I mean that that's that. that I mean that's crazy. It's just crazy, isn't it? I mean, go on. Sorry, Andy. Go on. What were you? Gonna no,
0: say? no, no. I was just going to briefly say y- yes. I, I, I see where where Tony is coming from there, and that's why Southgate is basically saying that one who was in the hard, being you know troublesome yards in, a, and they you know, and you can only imagine sort of in the FA even tape and UEFA red tape, fever whatever the governing body's red tape. I mean, it must be you know, pretty soul-destroying at times and rather than have a parachute in and say, right now, yeah. so, you know, in, in, in between, you know, give my verdict on Man City versus Liverpool in the Super Sunday kickoff. Yeah. Crossy,
2: do you what qualities do you think someone has to have to make that job a success?
1: Well, it's interesting because I was going to ask you because we've got, you know, Mark Bullingham basically a, a, as chief executive and kind of in charge of the, the business running of uh, of things. And frankly, he's he's got, you know, a lower public profile. And that's absolutely fine because if he's doing a really good job and everyone at the FA says that he is um, on the business side, commercial side, pulling everything together, then that's absolutely fine. But where I do think then that kind of impacts elsewhere is that you probably need a more high profile, more uh, um, front of the office sort of chairman. And I felt, you you know, I don't, uh, Matt's right. I mean, from what I know, Greg Clark has upset people within football, let alone about Tuesday, because he, you know, he, he, he left the EFL with the EFL thinking, you've been a bit duplicitous in leaving us here uh, to join the FA. He's then upset the Premier League with with Project Big Picture meetings. And so basically, you know, he's alienated himself a little bit in football. And I think quite apart from moving with the times and, you know, being a diverse appointment, I do think that we need an appointment that's, uh, you know, modern, that is in touch with the game, that that the players can relate to. I'm just going to say that... um... I mean, one of the biggest things, I don't know whether you agree, is that basically if, if the players feel as if that the FA is outdated, if, if we've got an issue here with diversity, we have to address that. And that where do we start with addressing that? We start with the very top. And, and, and I think the ironic, German must so be important. Sorry,
2: Jeremy. No, go on. I was just going to say you're right, because it's ironic we've got this young, vibrant team... With real big personalities in it like Sterling has done so much good work to tackle racism, you've got Rashford running rings around the Prime Minister over the free school meals, you know these, these young men who are aware of what's going on in the world and what needs to change and they're doing so much good work on and off the pitch you know the wonderful footballers too and then you've got the play for an organisation when they represent England which is just so stale and you know, living in a, an archaic time, it's just there needs to be someone at the front of that governance that's a link between, like a a, a, and a slightly older reflection of of the team. Do you mm, agree? Yeah. So?
3: But it's not got to be someone who just talks a good game that's the point i think it's got to be someone who knows or has the capacity to get things done you mentioned marcus rashford there as a great example he's not only carried a strong message he's actually affected real change and you need a character at the front who's not just outspoken on diversity issues but actually knows how we are actually going to change your know, opinions change thoughts uh, and actually get things through. I mean, Paul Elliott's achievement in getting the, the diversity code is, I think, what what Southgate was was applauding. He's actually effected real change. That you know now black candidates will be interviewed where qualified for for major jobs. That's a real change in the on the spectrum. So yeah, no, well, I,
1: I agree with that. No, I I think mean, you, I,
3: you don't need someone just trumpeting the message that being racist racist is bad because we all know that at different levels. We need someone who's going to actually change ideas, change thoughts. And actually, so that next time the FA chairman's appointed, that we have more black candidates who are qualified to to um, be considered than, than just perhaps Paul Elliott. Yeah, Where I,
1: yeah. I thought it was really interesting, um, uh, uh, Jeremy, you touched on this, was that basically this week we've seen, you know, we're talking about young progressive appointment. Well, well blimey, I mean... You know, the FA could have run away from this issue, but put Tyrone Mings up in the press conference. You know, while Greg Clark was leaving the office, <laughs> effectively, yeah. dealt with it brilliantly, and always has, in my experience, while on England duties, clearly matured. You know, as as we all do. You know, as as his career moves on into a brilliant talker now, and you you think in, t- in twenty years' time, I wouldn't be surprised if Tyrone Mings is <laughs> putting himself forward as his future. Uh, F.A. chairman. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a long way when you hear him talk from when you used to hear Emil Heskey talk as a player. So I get, well, I guess, you know, it's 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 just it, obvious,
2: isn't it? It's not that long ago, and we all lived through that time when probably if that scenario would have been developing in the day, the 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 they wouldn't have put a black player up. They would have put a white player up you know, fair play to Mings, we sat through it and he he was getting bombarded with really searching questions about stuff that's way out of his control and remit as a footballer, really. But he, he really answered well. I was very impressed with him. He spoke eloquently about everything and didn't duck anything. And yeah, he, look, he's he's clearly got leadership qualities, hasn't he? He shows that on the pitch and yeah, there may be a future for him in governance, like when he ends his career, probably. Yeah. No sure. But if a-
1: Andy, let's let's move on. I just want to look at Scotland and Northern Ireland, if I'm if I, if I may. Really, yes. I mean, Scotland are a, a, a strange, you know, sort of team, aren't they? They've got a great, great, great uh, options at left back. <laughs> strange, strange, peculiar sort of absences elsewhere, really. But but what 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 we do know is that they seem to be improving. And and a tournament is always richer for having the Tartan Army there. Well, it, it would be brilliant,
0: wouldn't it? Um, absolutely fantastic. And what I would say, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but listen, they are, you know, under Steve Clark, they are a lot more resilient, aren't they? You know, I think they are on a run of unbeaten games. I mean, they're, they're not, you know, setting the game alight, but I think they're probably, I don't know, seven or eight? Um, eight. without Eight, is it, with, with, without defeat? So um, so you would think it's, it, it, it's clearly not going to be easy um, against Serbia. Um I think they might have a couple of players missing, though. And you're right in the sense that from our point of view, from from newspapers' point of view, from British media's point of view, it would be fantastic to have them at at the European Championships, particularly when essentially, if it goes ahead as 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 advertised, as it was supposed to go ahead, um, the summer just gone. If it is, you know, a, a, a very much, you know, a big part of it played played here. So it would be fantastic to have them through. Um, will they win tonight? You know, I, I haven't seen enough of Serbia to really give um, a particularly insightful um, opinion on, on who will come out on top. What I do know is that they seem to have a um, a spirit about them now. That if, it, if, if, if that's um, anything to go by, we'll certainly stand them in good stead this evening. And, you know, fingers crossed, it would be fantastic to see them get, get through. Likewise, Northern Ireland. You know, and I think they have got a good chance, Northern Ireland. I think there'll be a few fans inside the ground tonight. Um, Slovakia, bizarrely, I think, sacked their manager after they um, got through um, on penalties against the uh, Republic. And, you know, I think they've got a great chance tonight. I really do. I I just, it would not surprise me if, as in the last um, set of games, it would not surprise me if it went down to penalties in one,
1: both, or both of the games. Yeah, and I think Northern Ireland, Jeremy, deserves so much credit, don't they? I mean, you look at this squad. How have they done that? I mean, that is that is team ethic. That is work, isn't it?
2: Wow. Yeah, look,
1: Barraclough took over from O'Neill,
2: who did an amazing job, took them to the Euros in uh, in France, where they, had, they were a great addition to the tournament. And when you look at the pool of talent they have to, and the resources they have, compared to, you know, say England, as the obvious comparison, it's remarkable what they can achieve. I mean, they punch above their weight on a regular basis. Um, they had the heartbreaking 2017 of um, missing out on a World Cup place, didn't they, to Switzerland through a controversial goal? Um, so they were knocking on the door for the World Cup. There, I think if they get through tonight, and I agree with Dunny, I think we've got a fabulous chance. Even a thousand fans in Windsor Park—that's got to be a massive bonus for mm. for them. Um, but their second consecutive appearance at the Euros—that's a remarkable achievement
1: for such a tiny nation. Yeah, no, absolutely. D- d- um, mm. The other Dunny, um, I- I- I'm just going to move on to um, uh, club issues a little bit. And uh, you know, one, one clearly off the back of England, really, Joe Gomez. Um, uh, it- you know, what a heartbreak for him. Um, yeah, w- devastating blow, isn't it, for, for Liverpool as well, and devastating blow for the player.
3: It's a huge personal blow because he's had history of injury problems, that have possibly held him back further than he, he would be, than he's already the remarkable achievements he's made in the game. Mm. Um, I think, though, inevitably, it's going to become a club versus country route. But Southgate couldn't have distanced any of his players further from, um, from him, from Gomez, when the actual incident occurred. You may be clear, this was just one of those freak things that happens in the middle of a football pitch. And and I struggle sometimes and I do feel a bit of sympathy for international managers. You know What would Gomez be doing? He might have had a couple of days off, but the chances are if he wasn't playing international football, he'd be running around Liverpool's brand new spanking training ground and and could have done the same there. Um, I don't know if it is a result of of an overcrowding of fixtures. Um, But I, I, I I mean, I just think we need to stop sometimes and stop trying to blame people and just feel sorry for the guy um, it's going to be a loss for, for Liverpool with Van Dyke already um, out for so long um, but but it's a personal tragedy and it's that's the sort of thing that happens in football it happens to players it's never fair when it does um, and, and often there's no one to blame uh, and I think we need to bear that in mind just feel sorry for him and wish him all the best in coming back and hopefully comes back to be the sort of player that he showed signs of being uh, when he did get fully fit.
1: Yeah, Andy. I mean, you know, it's heartbreaking for him to miss out in the 2018 World Cup, which he definitely would have gone to, wouldn't he? Uh, yeah. But for an ankle injury, and and now, you know, if indeed he's out for the season, is, you know, he's out the Euros as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. But particularly when, when you know, when he's a young man, you know, to have these type of injuries, to be kept out of to two tournaments, if that happens, you know, at such a young age, is. Um, yeah, it's heartbreaking. As, as Gareth made clear yesterday, you know, and you've got to feel sorry. I agree with Matt first and foremost for the player himself, and it could have And I agree. I agree with Matt in, in the sense that you know we're looking now, and, and understandably there will be now, you know, uh, uh, it, it will it will the efforts of club managers to point out the correlation between the schedule and the injuries that the players are picking up will only increase. I, I noticed last night. Um, so Nathan Ake, um, I think five minutes into Holland's game, pulled up with a hamstring injury, and straight away on social media, everyone was making the, you know, the the correlation between the demands at club level and then having these, having these these friendlies and nations nations league triple headers in the middle of them. But what I would say is, is, that in Ake's case, for example, you know, he's not. I think he's played. You know, I think he's probably started three Premier League games since you know the start of the beginning of September. You know, his workload hasn't been overly, overly done. Joe Gomez's workload is, you know, I think he's he's played most of the games. Um, I think he probably missed one or two. But it's not a workload that strikes you as absolutely um, excessive. But I guess the manager's also saying it was a shortened pre-season, which is why maybe this is happening. And it all goes back to what Southgate is saying about, you know, the, the international calendar, the, the, the football calendar, um, Europe-wide, globally indeed. Is that every single authority, whether that be the FA, the Football League, UEFA, FIFA, they all want to get their competitions done. No one wants to give way, so you've got all the competitions crammed into a shorter space of time. And as as again, as Southgate said, injuries will happen. But yes, you, you know. But again, going back to what Matt said, I think I think that's right. You know, this is a a, a freak injury by the sound of it that can happen anywhere. That does happen anywhere, unfortunately. Um, and as I say, you can only hope. We'll get updates, I'm sure, over the next 24, 48 hours. And you, you can only hope it's not as serious as a lot of people fear.
1: Yeah, Jezza, I, I put together the running order rather badly on this occasion because I was going to move on to Paul Pogba, actually. But we should tackle the five substitutes next, really, shouldn't we? On the back of the yeah. Gomez and, and what Andy was touching on then. I mean, you know, the, the, let's be clear here. The last meeting, the last Premier League meeting, it was voted 13 in favour of three subs, seven in favour of five. So, you, you know, sure while one, while Liverpool and Man City, you know, go on about why they want it, the other clubs don't, for their own reasons. Do what you know who the seven I mean? were? Do you know who the uh, seven were? I do, and they were all big clubs, basically. Yeah, well, Plus, there's, there's, a, there's a reason yeah. for that. Yeah, I think they're pretty, pretty much exclusively teams in Europe, to be honest. Yeah. Say.
2: Look, it's plainly
1: obvious that
2: if Pep Guardiola can make five substitutions or Jurgen Klopp can make five substitutions, that is going to be a huge benefit to them because they have the biggest, biggest squads, the better standard of players because they've got the most money to spend. Mm. So clearly it's an advantage. But what makes me laugh is these Guardiolas and the Klopp's. I mean, I was at the game at the Etihad last week and afterwards there was this issue of, you know, the substitutes rule, the demands on the players. Guardiola made one substitution in that game clock made two, and one of those was then forced after Alexander Arnold went off injured. So you know you've got to practice what you preach. If these guys were making three substitutions inside an hour every week, then you, their argument would stack up. But it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It just falls down when you know you've got the most high pressured game of the season. That is now the, has been the definitive game of the domestic season in the last two or three years. And you know it was a really really good first half. Players were the pace of it was magnificent. And it all sort of slowed down a bit after the second half, in the second half, and became a bit jumbled and lost its way a bit to the game. But the players probably felt tired. They ran out of steam, maybe. And um, they've got Guardiola making one substitution when when he could make three.
1: So, you know, it didn't stack up to me. No, it's a very valid point. I also think if you look at it from from the other perspective, guys, I don't know who wants to take this one, but if you are a Brighton, if you are a Southampton, you know, you've got your own ambitions. You don't want to be playing a kind of, you, you know, one of the big guys that can bring on five internationals in one go and completely turn, you know, what might be an upset on its head and they then end up losing.
3: Well, don't you end up on that very point in the same way Mourinho has been playing his Europa League games, where he knows if you've got five substitutions, um, you know, Pep Guardiola every week will put out effectively an A team in the hope mm-hmm. they can get the job done. And if they don't at half time or whenever sixty minutes, he brings on the the real A team, puts all his star names in, and it's a different way of playing the game. And it's just suited to squad teams. It's not uh, eleven against eleven anymore. It is your best sixteen against the other team's sixteen, and it just changes the dynamic because it gives you so much leeway if you muck up, if you take a gamble with your selection to put Mm. things right. Uh, And I think that's wrong. You know, it should be about naming your best team to get through the match. Naming your best starting eleven, and yeah, you might get something subtly wrong, in which case make a couple of tweaks. But but yeah, five substitutes just it just loads the game in in the favour uh, of the the bigger clubs and makes it too one sided, uh, I think. Uh, and also, you you know, you pay you hopefully money eventually to go back and watch teams. You don't want to be turning up and seeing that effectively you've got a second second string team going out to watch because you get cheated as fans by that.
0: Listen, I, I, was, I, I was against, from the very outset, I was against this idea of five substitutes. Sub you know, I, I always have a, I always trot out the, the, the age old about, you know, the, the Klopp's going for these five subs. And as he'll know, in 1966, Liverpool league title, using 14 players, not in one game, the entire season, 14 players. <laughs> and that included in a European Cup Winners' Cup campaign. That went to the final now I know things have moved on in those 50 or so years since then but, but even so 14 players but, yeah. but what I would say and, and and all those reasons that the the, the lads have said um, T5 subs I'm, I'm with them I, I agree you know when, when Jose Marino brought on the four subs at half time against Antwerp as I still lost the game and um, that's the thing you know he wasn't doing it for the good of health he was doing it because the, the 11 players had stunk the place out in the first half you know so, so, I, and, and I remember when these five sub real come in, you know, I was thinking to myself, who's going to be the first smart alley to make all five changes at once? You know, and, and basically, well, you you have money on no one else but Jose, and I'm just surprised he hasn't done that that the five yet, and um, and that's not what it, in theory it's designed for. Those things I took agree with. Also, they could rotate more. I was at Everton versus Man United. You know, they brought they had on the bench, they had Cavani on the bench, taking the forwards off these players, even in, the, even in the match day 18, with a lot of um, Gallo, 150 grand a week, Phil Jones, um, Gard, um and you could go on. So these teams can actually rotate if they really want to, but they don't want to take, that's why Pep and Klopp, didn't make the solutions in the game because they didn't want to take the risk of losing the game, and 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 it was basically a a very nice stalemate, And they didn't want to take that, so they were prepared, really, to, to, to like you know to make their players you know more tired, um, rather than rather than take that risk. So I agree with everything. The only one thing I would the whole argument is that I do think it's not correct. Rest of Europe, the rest of European football, the big leagues. The Bundesliga, the Liga Sierra can have the five sub rule, and English football doesn't. I do understand that that is an anomaly that shouldn't be a should really shouldn't really allowed to exist. It's it's clearly even if only a minor disadvantage, it's, it's a disadvantage for English clubs in Europe. They are having to go, they haven't to play with a, with a Mac fourteen players on a Saturday. The other teams with sixteen players. So I just think that that is one. That, you know they, the Premier have been caught out, you now. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with the lads. I think it should be only three. I think from the start of next season they should either they should align with three Europe, or we should fall in
1: line with them. Yeah, uh, no, I'm, I must say that is that is a strange um, standoff and difference between cool. now. Talking of substitutes, a seamless Alan partridge style link there, Jeremy. I'm going to come to you on Paul Pogba. I mean, yeah, you know, he played for France, you know, this midweek as well, didn't he? And Captain. Uh, I mean, really, honestly, where are we going with Paul Pogba? Because we did think this was season would be a bit of a fresh start for him, really.
2: Well, we're going round in circles, aren't we, really? I mean, you know, every few weeks he comes into the conversation. But look, he's been at Man United since 2016 and it's now 2020. And I can struggle... I would struggle to think, recall half a dozen games that he has really taken by the Scruff of the Neck and influence. Four years he's been at United, we still don't know what his best position is, he's played under two different managers, don't know what, what his best role is, can we trust him, you know he gave away that penalty against Arsenal a couple of weeks ago, at cost United three points. There's no discipline to his play. You know, you look at players of the past like the Roy Keynes of this world and um, the Gerrards and Lampards, they all drove their teams onto trophies from midfield. They were, you know, top, top-class players. And Pogba, for me, look, he, there's talent in there. There's no doubt, doubting about that. But, you know, you look, you say, people say he's won a World Cup and he won the hat-trick of Serie A titles at Juve. But... In those two teams. He was surrounded by really top, world-class, experienced players like Perlo and the rest of them. So, you know, I think he flatters to deceive, to, to deceive far too often. And if I was United, I mean, they won't be able to sell him in January. But um, I think next summer you've got things to think, say. Look, we tried, and um, it's just not—it's not, not going to work.
1: No, no, Matt, are you are you a member of the Pogba fan club? Or you know, yeah, like, you, like Jeremy say? says,
3: about one game in twenty. I mean, <laughs> when he's on it, he's an incredible player. Let's not forget mm. that. Uh, And that must be what's so frustrating as a manager. Um, You know, I remember him standing out in an exceptional French team at the World Cup two years ago. Um, And to be that good to stand out in that company, you are an incredible talent. And it shows that on the biggest stage, it's not something about stages or whatever. He can do it on the biggest stages, but only it seems when he wants to. Um, I thought when Fernandez first arrived at United, that kind of gave Pogba a lift. And actually his play improved because he had he had a mate to share the burden with and it wasn't all on him and he, he had some almost someone to play with. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and for a little while, he, he lifted his game as well. But again, you know, anyone who... It, people are wired up wrong, I think, to have got to that far in the game and not be motivated to win every single ball of every single game uh, mm-hmm. uh, and do something every time they get the ball um, because it is hard to get to that level. Uh, unless you've got perhaps Pogba's talent, uh, who, who, but he just doesn't seem to have the mentality to go with it. Uh, and it's like you say, as a manager, you either stick with him and say, right, we're going to get determined to get the best out of him. But if you're going to stake your your short term career, which which managers is a very short term career, on, on on a player, I wouldn't necessarily pick him as the guy I trust, you know, to put to, to balance that on.
1: And, is, and Pogba, Andy, you, you you love a mercurial midfield talent, yes. Meza Özil, World Cup winners. Okay, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. You're, you're slightly different in your attitude towards Paul Pogba. Am I? No, am I no, right?
0: I'm, 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 I'm probably not, John. I'm, I mean, I am. I share. I share, basically, it's frustration. I, I wrote the other day when I went to a United game. You know, I go there and I I want to see because I know there's a there's a great player in there. I know there's a great character. You know, I like his character. I like his infectiousness. I like the way he plays. I know he can galvanise the team. I know he can be a game changer at the very highest level in big games. And every time I go, I then turn around towards the end of the game, fire up the laptop, and find myself writing how how bad Paul Pogba's been. The last time I did it, it was obviously the Arsenal game, when... You know, he had, well, never mind giving away the, the decisive penalty. You know, he had a poor game all around. And I'm writing these things basically, not wanting to write them, just thinking, hang on a minute, I should be watching a player at the peak of his powers, you know, which is what? He's 27-year-old. 27 years of age, he should be absolutely in his pomp. And the thing is there, it's a very interesting thing that Dunny said there about, um, about you know, managers, what does Solskjaer do in terms of, if, it, if you're into short-termism, then you can't afford to, keep indulging or keep looking for a way to get the best out of Pogba. Long term, if United are going to win something um, with this squad that they've got, Pogba has to be absolutely in the vanguard of this squad. Pogba has to be key to this squad. The fact is, is that they will beat Everton with Fred and McTominay in the team without Mm. Pogba. I mean, you know, if if Pogba ever, I think it's a bit late now, but if if he wants to be spared on, it it should have been a Goodison last Saturday when he was sat there, um, on the bench, and thinking I can't get past with respect to these two, you know, very, very hard working, decent players. If he can't get past Fred and Scott McTominay into a United team, then he really, you know, that, that should be um, uh, an incentive for him. But going back to what I was saying is, is that long term, uh, you know, this United squad will win big games with Pogba at, at his best because he knows how to play in big games, he's, he's played in them before. Probably the team that, that beat Everton will beat Everton but might, you know, in the very, very biggest games, um, um, struggle a little. So Solskjaer is torn between thinking, well, you know what? I know that if Pogba at his at his very best will we'll help us challenge for trophies, but he'll have too many games like the one he had against Arsenal. And that's why Solskjaer is in a dilemma. And that's why you can't blame him for thinking, you know what? This worked against Everton
1: and I'll stick with that. Mm. Jezu I just want to touch on the title race really it's so interesting at the moment isn't it that basically you know Leicester what a a, a season again they're having under Brendan Rodgers Southampton who I absolutely love I think Hasna is so much to be admired I think you know really jumped on that bandwagon make no apologies for it Um, and and Tottenham could they spring a surprise under Jose because that's that surprised a few of us including myself I have to say you know, could we get an unexpected winner this year? How, I know we say it a lot, but basically, is there a realistic chance of that happening? Well, I it's last night the odds of Liverpool winning the title
2: dramatically went up um, because of Gomez's injury, basically, because they, they now have serious problems at the back. And that 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 is going to cast a, a huge shadow over their chances of... Um, defending the title, because Gomez and Van Dyke were the bedrock of that defence last season that mm-hmm. led to that first title in 30 years. So, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you would have said, look, it's going to be Liverpool's title again. But there's just so many anomalies in this season that you can't predict anything. I mean, who would have thought Southampton would be up there in fourth, fifth place? I mean, it was the, the, it was tw- that last win they had before the international break it was 12 months on almost to the day, since they got hammered 9-0 at home to Leicester. The job he's done there is remarkable. He's not spent any money, really, has he? Hasn't little... He just invested his time in getting the best out of those players that he's already got there. But obviously, they've lost things now to an injury, so that's going to be a blow. But I don't know. I mean, look, will Leicester run out of steam like they did last season? They're relying on Vardy's goals, aren't they? He was playing out of his skin at 34. If he gets injured, you have to fear for them. They're in the Europa League as well, so you know, we know the demands of that are really high. Um, Spurs, they're, they're gritty, they've got more grit and determination and substance to them, aren't they? I mean, mm. you know, and they've got such an experienced manager there. They've got loads of talent, especially up front with Kane and Son and Bale. They're going to score goals, Tottenham. I mean, they're going to score so many goals, you can guarantee that. And they're right in it, they're right in it. I mean. Yeah, look, there. I would say you could throw a blanket over six teams. Genuinely, could win the title this season, wow. and I wouldn't want to pick. I wouldn't want to <laughs> stick my neck out and pick one. I'm telling you, no. yeah. I just. Ma, ma, you know, ma, ma, it's, it's going to be a great
1: season. Absolutely, that's the point, isn't it, Matt? That I think it will be a really open, interesting season, isn't
3: it? Oh, absolutely, but I will stick my neck out all, all of them, <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, and I'll say that I I really fancy Spurs this season. Something about the, the place year ends you know, year. Year ends in one, you ends in one, yeah. Well, there you go, that's the start, isn't that the cup? Um, perhaps they win a cup at least, at least it's silverware. Um, no, it's just a fact, it's the way I
1: think um, you find Jose... their only title came in a year and ending one, <laughs>
3: yeah, to be fair, yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, well, yeah, Jose was uh, it's the way Jose's reacted to the, the setbacks of, of the West Ham game. He's not thrown his dummy out the pram this time. He's had a little dig on Instagram. I think that went down better than expected within the dressing room. I don't think it alienated players in the way that United players got alienated very quickly. It, the chemistry seems to be there. And, and when you look at the face of it, if in you know you're lining up and the three players you've got nearest to you are Harry Kane, Jungmin Son, and Gareth Bale, you, you know you know you're in for an afternoon of it. And, and, and to have that talent amassed there. Um, with, um, I think uh, uh, Regulon's a great signing to give them balance, um, and, and now on the right, Dirty, he can play. A, he's got a right back who can defend, and an right back who can attack. So he can pick his players, you know, for 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 any game. Central midfield, he's got players with talent that he just needs to get them to click. Um, but there's it's there, and then. You know uh, the the heart of the fence. Perhaps they're a little bit more wobbly. But now you take Alvaro and Sanchez, say, or Dia, who's you know come on a lot in that position. You take them ahead of perhaps the Liverpool. What Liverpool have got left? Uh, and, and I don't think, and with Lloris behind them as as a decent goalkeeper. I know you in the school of goalkeepers, here You're a big fan, mm-hmm. uh, and I am too. I don't think that's a bad first eleven. And and then when you've got players like Deli Ali can't even get into the match day squad, it tells you how much talent they've got. Uh, flying through that team, uh, and I genuinely think that, that, that they could this could be the year with Mourinho's winning mentality. If providing he keeps his players going along with him, they could be the ones to beat this year.
2: If and he wins he, the title with Tottenham, that's surely going oh, to be the greatest achievement, hasn't it? Brilliant story. What, a, oh, well, what he he the, all
3: the knockers that he you know he's lost it as a manager. Um, uh, and yeah, people. It's easy to forget how brilliant a manager he was and how many managers like Ranieri didn't win the title with Chelsea that first term. He did bring some sparkle to that first Chelsea appointment. Uh, And and what he did with Porto, he is a great manager um, or he was a great manager. And the question mark is, has he still got it within him? Uh, And I just think he's, he's in a good place himself at the moment. And I think that's what's key to whether Mourinho can perform or not.
2: Be a great yeah. story when it cross if Tottenham won really? Thailand the Mourinho, you'd be, you'd
1: be <laughs> brilliant, wouldn't it? I do think it would be a great story, Jeremy. Yes, yes, Andy, Tottenham, can they win it? No, 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 no. <laughs> and, um, it's not
3: that, like I uh, to disagree, Andy. I, I, I'm, not,
0: I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as as, as you all know, a man. Um, um, however, if Jeremy just said that loopholes have i get on. The, I'd, I, I mean, honestly, I think it's like buying money. I can never understand why Liverpool was second to favourites behind Manchester City at that age. Liverpool will win this title. Liverpool will win this title, you, you know, regardless of their defence issues. You know, they do a good defend from the front, that Liverpool team. That's the thing. That's what they've always done. They defend from the front. As long as there's no catastrophic problems or injuries to um, their attacking options, I think Liverpool will, will win the title. Listen. You know, first half hour, 25 minutes. They probably should have blown the City away on on Sunday um, with the way they performed then. Obviously, it it, it wasn't the same second But I have, apart from the aberration at Villa, which was a complete aberration, I've seen nothing that suggests to me that Liverpool are still not some distance ahead of everyone else, including Man City, and then Man City maybe a little above everyone else. I I, I, I would love to share your um, conviction, guys, be some wide open title race. I believe and I think they'll win the title. And I think they'll win the title, probably not with the same, well, impossible, probably to win it with the same degree of comfort as they did last season. But I think they'll win it decisively.
1: Interesting. Now, guys, now we normally wind up, and I'm going to wind up the show here with, with a prediction for the game for the for the big weekends games. But obviously. It's international week, so I'm going to finish with something a little bit different and a little bit of a hobby horse of mine, just about football books. Simply because I interviewed Andy Cole this week, and it sort of maybe inspired me. He's released his new autobiography. Um, And I just want to kind of go around the room, the virtual room, if you like, and just ask you guys for your favourite ever, either football autobiography or football book, um because it is I'm reassured by the way going to be an absolute bumper year for football books simply because blimey we're all under lockdown we've got nothing else to do but read have not we about football and the beautiful game so I'm going to go around the, the the room andy i'll start with you please your 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 favorite i mean please give a sort of a, a glowing mention to an- a- andy cole by the way but also just what's your favorite book <laughs> Oh, favourite one. Obviously, we're all
0: primed to say that that, that Arsene Wenger biography by John Cross. No, 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 no. i No, no, I would, no, no, well, no,
1: That's clearly just know. a <laughs> sense you
0: taking up and whatever. No, John, I mean, my favourite autobiography, football autobiography, goes to time, and it's Stan Tere autobiography, Stan the Man. It is quite simple. The, um maybe unintentionally, but the funniest books, um, autobiographies I read, so honest, it is just full of anecdotes about. If any of you know Stan, um, you know he's a character. Let's put it that way, and and not afraid to get into the odd connotation, shall we say? <laughs> and, I, and I wouldn't own any any of the um, of of the um, <laughs> incidents in that in that autobiography, but I, I would read. I think you know. I think it was. I think it was ghostwritten by Tommy Livesey. I'm I'm not sure, but it, it's it is just brilliant. It is just brilliant. I, I remember serialising it. And Stan called up to say, listen, you've only you've only put in these bits where, you know, I'm having fights with people. I mean, incredible fights <laughs> with people. I, he said, you know, I, I, just, I said, well, Stan, because that's basically pretty much start to finish <laughs> yes. with the book. Oh, it's incredible. There's a, there's a <laughs> fantastic, and I, again, I will not condone in any shape or form road rage but it's a fantastic road raid incident where he's actually, he's actually a passenger in the car. He's on crutches, and some guy cuts them up, and they chase him down the motorway. The two outside lanes, Stan's got the window down with the crutch going in. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, 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 it, it, it's an old book now. I, I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how long ago, but it's fantastic. So Stan Ternan's autobiography, Stan the Man, well worth a read.
1: are oh, brilliant.
0: Jezza? Um... Bit
2: random this, but he's Boy. he's no longer playing. But there's a, a striker, a journeyman striker called John Parkin, who played for Barnsley and I think he played for Tranmere and a few other clubs in the football league. His book about his career, but well, it's more about his life as a footballer, not so much his achievements. Because with respect to him, he didn't win anything really. But some of the scrapes used to go. Up to, I mean, I can't even repeat the, the opening the opening um, paragraph about what he did in a bath is. Uh, just leaves you mind bubble, but it's uh, just hilarious. He didn't take himself too seriously. He just got into so many bizarre situations. Probably didn't take his career as serious as he should have done, but you know he just had a great, great run. At it you know earned decent money and had a fun, fun time while it lasted. And it's, it's there's some brilliant anecdotes in there. Mm, brilliant,
3: Matt. Well, you know I've got to go with. I've got to go with these guys. I've got the greatest football book ever. <laughs> what <laughs> Yeah, absolutely no um <clears throat> I thought I thought autobiographies reached their low point in 2000 when Kevin Phillips had just signed for Sunderland and had that great season and bought out his second autobiography having already written one at Watford and he was still only 20 and I think we'll at least have some life before you, you try and write about it twice um and I think a lot of football books uh, struggled over the years to be interesting because they are churned out by people willing to make money too early but yeah stand the man I'm just trying to spot it it's over there somewhere that's a fantastic book and, and I think when people are a bit more honest you um uh, and a bit old you know a bit older in the game uh, you get a better read i'm just trying to think of a specific example um i'm struggling for the moment but uh but yeah no that's uh, that stand the man is is, is a good shout uh, the other one that Steak yeah. diner ross by dave mcveigh who uh, was in the Midlands for a while? Notts County player. Um, again, another unsung hero, telling really what life's like and can be like. Uh, there's a, some unexpected anecdotes to that, but a difficult one to look out. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'll I'll always
2: ask keep... you what your favourite book is, Crossy.
1: Well, no, no, no <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't possibly say. But no, I tell you what, I was going to touch on a couple. Actually, I thought Ian Ridley's book on Tony Adams, Addicted, was a, it was was a yeah. genre changing book. Frankly, mm. you know sort of kind of sh- shook up the you know kind of groin strain we've got we've got liverpool on saturday sort of all the football autobiography didn't it absolutely fantastic and the, and the other one bizarrely a bit random because i do like a football book rather as well as a sort of an autobiography was just uh, was danny taylor's book about you know oh, man absolutely. united oh, which yeah. i thought was kind of brought a different different you know sort of landscape to it and all sort of kind of revealed about sort of covering um Uh, uh, you know, Man United at that time. This is the one. So I thought that that was, that was very, that was a very interesting one. There's a great one, isn't there, which I hadn't read about the, the former Orient manager. What's his name? It's gone out my head now. Uh, because it's 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 almost out of print but everyone says it's 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 a legendary football topography so I love I love the football books I shouldn't really read as many as I do but basically just because you probably need to need to break away from football because it's what all yes. we ever talk about and write about but there you go but anyway guys thanks so much for your company really really interesting note to finish on so uh, uh, much appreciated and um, you know thanks everyone for watching thanks for enjoying the show hope you hope you did. And hope to see you back in next same time, same place next week. Thank you.